Well, we are starting a brand new series today called Twisted. Twisted. And the idea behind this is, you know, it's like October and Halloween's just around the corner. And there's all this talk about ghosts and spirit world and evil and all, all kinds of stuff like that. And many times, those of us who are Jesus followers or even those who are just kind of curious are like, what's that all about? You know, like, what do we believe? We're kind of unclear on that. And so we're going to see what God has to say about what we need to know and what we, we need to do to uh, be on guard, uh, to be able to fight in what's often called spiritual warfare. So today is the first message in a series, and today we're going to kind of introduce the topic. So at the end of the message, you're going to be like, and <laughs> it's like, is that it, right? You know, it's like, there is more, it, but you got to come back and you know, get some of the application. Today, we're going to kind of set the background, set the stage uh, for what we're going to be talking about as we dig in over the next few weeks. Now, this morning, we're going to be in the book of John. Uh, book of John, if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along or your Bible app, uh, John chapter eight is where we're going to be starting out. And, uh, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Now, in the late 1800s, late 1800s, uh, doctors and scientists believed in something called spontaneous generation. Spontaneous generation. And this was the idea that living things, diseases specifically, could suddenly pop up from anywhere from non-living substances, which pretty much for them explained disease. You know, just out of nowhere, disease could just occur and doctors didn't assume it was related to anything. It just kind of happened. The assumption was these diseases popped up and it was random and it was just maybe fate and maybe even in some cases it was God's will. And then Louis Pasteur came along and he said, no, 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 that's not the case at all. There are invisible organisms that you can't see that actually carry these diseases and they're in the air and they can be passed on by touching someone's skin and they live in food and they can live on different surfaces. And these diseases are not just cropping up randomly. But there's these invisible organisms. There's an invisible world that impacts the visible world. And this invisible world of germs, as we would come to call them, these invisible microorganisms are everywhere. And you can't see them. And this unseen world is impacting the seen world. And it has the potential to destroy lives, families, communities, to create all kinds of pestilence all over the world, hundreds of thousands of people, all because of something you can't see. And he put forth what has become known as the germ theory of disease, the idea that invisible microorganisms could impact the seen world. Some argue that this is the most important contribution to medical science and practice ever. But many people in the medical and scientific community and people outside the medical and scientific community, they thought, this is crazy. Like, are you kidding me? You're telling us there's something we can't see that impacts what we can? You know, you're telling me there, there's something that's invisible and it's just kind of floating through the air and it can land on food and, and infect food and or something I can't see and it's on my skin and gets transmitted to somebody else's skin, that there's this invisible world that we're surrounded by all these living uh, organisms that impact our visible world. Uh, yeah. To which Louis Pasteur would say, absolutely. Well, nowadays, that's not a theory. Like, there's not, it's just an assumption. Nobody here uh, doesn't believe that. We all believe in germs. In fact, we, we've got like hand sanitizers and disinfectant wipes and all kinds of stuff like that because we believe that there's a world that we can't see that impacts what we can see and that it can be dangerous and it can be life-threatening. 
We know now, because of medical discoveries and what's happened uh, since the late 1800s, that these invisible microorganisms can wipe out entire populations. And you never see it coming because there's an invisible world of germs. And we know this, that the invisible world doesn't stay invisible. Because once it's mixed at the right time with the right things and the right skin and the right environment, what's invisible becomes very visible. And it can become dangerous. And in fact, it can become life-threatening. Now, we all know that. Nobody would dispute that. The challenge comes in the fact that the Bible teaches there's another unseen world that doesn't simply impact us physically, but it impacts us relationally. It impacts our thinking, impacts our worldview, impacts our attitudes, impacts our attitudes toward morality and purity and our finances, our relationships, our marriages, how we date, how we do business, how we interact. Impacts everything about us. can be physically life-threatening, it can be emotionally life-threatening, and it can be relationally life-threatening. It's this invisible world, and it's all around us, and it impacts everything we do. And yet, some of us, we resist this. Okay, we're kind of like the people that lived in the 1800s and we're like, they're like, wait a minute, you know, you're telling me there's something I can't see that uh, uh, is all around me and it causes diseases and it's invisible. That's difficult to believe. And what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is a little bit difficult for some people to believe. But at the same time, uh, the same Bible that says, you know, love one another, which we love that part, and the same Bible that says husbands love your wives and wives love that part, the same Bible that says, children obey your parents, and all parents love that part. And the same Bible that says, you can know God by putting your faith in him. We all love that part. That same Bible, in fact, many of the same books will say, no, it's not just that. There's more. There's an invisible world. There's an invisible world that impacts your visible world every single day. And you don't need a microscope to discover it. And really, all you need is a rearview mirror. Right? Because all we have to do is we can look back in our lives and we go like, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so confused? Like, How could I have thought that was a good thing when clearly it was such a bad thing? How could I have thought that was a good idea when it's really such a bad idea? How could I have been so deceived? How could things have been so twisted in my thinking? I mean, like, how in the world did I think you know, that relationship was going to go anywhere? Why in the world did I think that approach to finances was going to take me somewhere good. How could I not see that it wasn't a pastime, it was a pathway that led to habits that I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life? Why couldn't I see it in the moment? And I'm like, looking back, so clear to me. But in the moment, you know, when he stood there, she stood there, you know, when the opportunity was there and I, I was alone and when I was with them, it just all made sense. But looking back, that was crazy. Should have seen it coming. How could I have been so confused? How could I have been so deceived in my thinking? How is it things got so twisted and here I am paying the price physically, emotionally, relationally, financially for decisions that I made in a moment when it was as if I was in some kind of fog. And maybe, maybe you don't need a rear view mirror. Maybe you just need a mirror because you're in the middle of it now. And you make certain decisions in moments of sanity, and then you get with a group of people or an individual or a certain environment, and it's like you lose your mind. It's like you abandon everything that you say you believe. And in those moments, you're so confused and your thinking is so twisted, and you got to talk yourself into things that you know you have no business doing. 
And then you come out and you regain your sanity and your focus and your perspective and, and you look in the mirror and you go, what was wrong with me? Like, why is it, it's like I just lost my mind. Suddenly, things that are so clearly wrong in some environments, they make perfect sense in those environments. And then I come out of it and I regret it and I have consequences. And I'm thinking like, what's wrong with me? Or if that doesn't do it for you, just need to look around at the people that we love. Some of the people we want the best for and we watch them make decisions and we think like, why can't you see it the way I see it? I'm like, it's so clear to me and everybody that knows you that you're about to make a terrible decision. But for them, it makes perfect sense. You know, they argue their case and their logic is so messed up and their thinking is so twisted. And the rest of us stand on the sidelines and think, you're going to regret this. You know, you may regret this the rest of your life. What are you thinking? But in their thinking, it makes perfect sense. There's a twist. There's a deception. There's a way of thinking that only makes sense in the moment. And historically, we look back as, as a culture, as a country, we go, what were we thinking? How could we have been so confused? And nationally and internationally, many times, our, our confusion and the twist that confuses our thinking results in the deaths of people, results in the annihilation of relationships. It can result in the deaths sometimes of thousands and thousands of people, in the persecution of people, and the mistreatment of people. And we come to our senses and we go, well, what were we doing? How could we have supported that? How could we have thought that was the right thing to do? It's real simple, as we're going to see. The Bible answers that for us because there's a twist. There's confusion. There's a distortion of truth. It's just enough to get, into, get us into trouble, but not enough to scare us away. And the ones behind the twist will never tip their hands so as to become too obvious. Because if they were to become obvious, we would see them for who they are and we would run. But the interesting thing is that not everybody falls for this. Okay, There's people, maybe, maybe you're one of them or certainly you've met them. There's people who are somehow able to navigate the minefield and navigate the culture, navigate the deception. And they, they, don't, they just don't make those bad decisions. They do marriages differently. They don't buy into the culture's definition of how you're supposed to do what you do and how you handle morality and how you handle your money and how you view the world. They just do it differently. And they're so different. And in our moments of sanity, like we go, I want a marriage like that. I want dating relationships like that. I would like to have that kind of self-esteem. I'd like to be that secure. I'd like to be emotionally healthy. I'd like to have those kinds of habits. I'd like to be more free the way that they're free. There's people who somehow seem to navigate around it all. But let's face it, they're the exceptions. They're not the rule because we live in a culture that's been twisted. And the truths that are sometimes so self-evident in a room like this, you know, once we step outside these doors back into uh, our worlds, those truths that are self-evident, they're not so self-evident. They're twisted. We don't lose all of them. We just lose enough of them to where ultimately we lose our way and we lose our perspective. Now, as obvious as that some of that may seem, Jesus gives us some real specific insight into the reasons behind this problem and the unseen world that's behind it. And if you're following along, John 8, 
let me kind of set this up for you. Jesus is having a conversation with a bunch of religious leaders, and he's far enough into his ministry, you know, that he's done so many miracles and he's taught so many profound things. Like people are just going, like, hey, you know what? He might be the Messiah. And the people who are standing on the periphery, you know, they're going like, no, I don't think so. Those are the religious leaders. And they should have been the easiest to convince because they should have known exactly what to look for in Messiah, but they don't like Jesus. So Jesus is having a conversation with them and he's going like, look, after all you've seen me do and all you've heard me teach, do you still not recognize that I come from God? And their response is like, well, we don't need you to come from God. Like we've got Abraham as our father. We're related to Abraham, you know, who needs to know anything about you? If God wanted to say something to us, you know, he would have said it through Moses and Abraham. We don't need to listen to you, Jesus. You're a false Messiah. You're a false prophet. We don't think you're from God. And Jesus like, is like, look, if you were really sons of Abraham, if you were really devout followers of God and followers of uh, Moses and Abraham, you would recognize me. Because Moses knows who I am, and Abraham knows who I am, and God knows who I am. The problem is you guys don't know who I am. You don't recognize me, and I'll tell you why. John chapter 8, verse 43 going to jump right into the middle of this conversation. Here's how it goes. He says, Jesus talking, why is my language not clear to you? In other words, why is it you just don't get it? You know, he says, I'll tell you why, because you are unable to hear what I say. And then he tells them why <coughs> they're unable to understand him. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. It's like, hey guys, I'll tell you why you don't recognize who I am. Because there is a deceiver. And you are so deceived that in the face of overwhelming evidence, your thinking is just twisted enough that you take what I say and what I do and you ascribe it to something other than God. And the problem is that you guys have been influenced by or, or deceived by or under the power of your father, the devil. Okay? That's so offensive, you know, because they had just got finished saying like, hey, we follow our father, Abraham. Jesus is like, your father's not Abraham. You're, the devil is your father. <laughs> Try that in a conversation sometime when you can't convince somebody of something. Well, you're, you're just a son of the devil, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Well, back to the verse, he says, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And the father or the source or the originator of lies. Now, here's what Jesus believed. And you don't have to believe this. This is just what, what Jesus believed. Jesus believed that there was actually a personality, a he, a, a devil, an entity, this individual. Jesus believed that. And here's what Jesus believed about him. Jesus believed that his ultimate agenda was murder, was the destruction of human life. And the means by which he destroyed human life was through deception. The means by which he carries out his agenda is actually limited to deception and distortion, limited to twisting the truth. He has the ability and the freedom and the power to so deceive people that it results in destroying and the destruction of human life and all that's valuable to the human race. Relationships and community and marriage and friendship and so on. Satan is against all of that. And his agenda is simply to destroy it, and he does it through one tool. He does it through deception. Through so confusing the human mind that we think what is right is actually wrong and what's wrong is right. And the end result is the destruction of the soul, of the heart, the relationship, 
maybe even the physical body. Now, here's a couple of other glimpses into Jesus' view on this whole thing. He says this in John 14, 30, later on in the same book. He's talking to his close guys, uh, and he says this. He says, I'm not going to say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. The prince of this world. See, here's what Jesus believed. Jesus believed that somehow Satan, the devil, he was the prince of this world, that this world is his domain. He says, the prince of this world is coming. Now, this is from Luke chapter 4. This is one of the several temptations of Jesus. He was tempted uh, to do uh, a few things. This is from Luke 4, verse 5. We read that the devil led him, Jesus, up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. For it, it the, uh, the authority over all the kingdoms of the earth, it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. Now, this is disturbing, and I can't fill in all the gaps, but here's what Scripture teaches. That you and I live on a planet that has been given to, has been placed under the authority of a personality, an entity. Jesus refers to as the devil. And his agenda is the end of human life, and the means by which he accomplishes this is deception. Apparently, he has not been given control over everything in terms of what he can do, but he's been given authority. And the means that he's limited to is through deception, through a twist. And the means by which he maintains control is deception. Now, that's a little disconcerting, but maybe it's a little helpful because it could explain some things. Maybe it's something we need to learn to factor into our struggles with temptation. Maybe it's something we need to learn to factor into our struggles at home. Maybe it's something we need to learn to factor into your struggle with your prodigal son or daughter or the guy at work or that weird thing where you have moments of clarity and then you have moments of insanity and then moments of clarity. And it's like, oh, I know what I need to do. And then you just go out and you do the opposite. And it's like, what is that? What's wrong with me? Or maybe there's an invisible world that impacts your visible world. Maybe there's something you can't see that impacts everything that you see. 30 years later, after Jesus said this, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. And he's writing, he's talking to them about how to live life, you know, how to love their children, how to get along in their marriages, how to get along in business. And this book uh, that he writes is so relational. You know, here's what to do, here's what not to do, here's what to be careful of. And that at the end of this book, in the letter to the Ephesians, there's these verses that if you read them in isolation, you're just kind of like, well, why is that in there? But now listen to these verses through this new grid. Ephesians chapter 6, here's what Paul says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's, what? What's that word? Scheme. Say it again. Schemes. Schemes. Do you know what Paul believed? The Apostle Paul believed there was a devil. There's this personality, this entity, this individual, and he has schemes. He has a plan. He's got this strategy, and it's a real simple one. It's take what is true and twist it. Take what's evident and distort it. Take what's true and change it just enough to where it's not, it's not true enough, but it doesn't harm us right away. Don't make it too evident. Don't make it too obvious. Find some common ground. And then he just leads us astray. It's like, hey, let's take appetites. Those are good things. 
Let's take appetites and let's twist them to where they become addictions. Let's take desires, because desire is a good thing, and let's twist desire to where it becomes greed. Let's take something that's appealing and let's twist it to where it becomes jealousy. Let's take appreciation and twist it to where it becomes lust. Let's take people's view of God so that they get angry at him, twist that, and they make decisions based on their anger, and then they blame him for the consequences of their decision. That's a scheme. And when you begin to factor that into what you see in this world, and maybe what you experience in your life, for some of us, that's going to be kind of an aha moment. Listen to what else he says. This is so helpful uh, if you're in the middle of a marriage issue or in the middle of a parent-child deal or in the middle of some kind of relational issue. Listen to these next verses. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just your husband that's the problem. It's not just your daughter that's the problem. It's not just you that's the problem. It's not just your boss that's the problem. Paul says, wait, remember to factor this in. It's not just what we see. There's this invisible world that impacts what's visible. There's an unseen that impacts the seen. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, a lot of us go, well, that's kind of weird, you know? It's like, I mean, like, to believe in an actual devil? That sounds more like kind of ancient superstition, you know, kind of, hey, you know, we're way more sophisticated nowadays. Like, we, we got science, right? We can explain away stuff, and we're way smarter than people used to be. And this whole devil thing, that's just weird. And if you're skeptical about the whole thing, I understand. You know why? Because it's invisible. And I get it because like when something happens, I always, my first impulse is to look for a naturalistic explanation and something that doesn't rely on something I can't see. Besides, you got your own explanations for like why people get addicted to things. You don't need a devil to figure that out. Get your own explanation as why your ex and you could never get along. You don't, you, you don't need a devil uh, for that. Like you got your own explanation for whatever, but let's just be real honest for a second. Isn't it true that every once in a while you see something or you hear about something or you read about something and you think to yourself, that's just evil. That's just evil. It's just purely evil and you don't have any explanation. I mean, somebody walks into a school, starts shooting randomly, lines little kids up, shoots them. Pretty soon there's dozens dead or injured. It's twisted. Or how about this? A group spends years and years planning to hijack passenger jets and fly them into business buildings in New York because that'll make God happy. That's twisted. Or if you've ever been to Germany and you visit one of the concentration camps, there's just acres and acres and all these barracks and you walk through there and you realize this took incredible planning. Like this was a machine. This wasn't like somebody got mad and did something out of anger and lost their temper. This took years of planning. This was a sophisticated, well-designed killing machine. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people thought, you know, the best thing to do is just to round up Jewish people, steal everything they own, and systematically kill them. Let's kill as many as we can because this will help us accomplish something good. This is systematic annihilation of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. There's a group of people, this makes perfect sense to them. We look back and we go, oh, that's horrible. It's worse than horrible. It's twisted. 
And that didn't just happen a long ago in the past, like 80 years now ago. Look what's going on in Israel right now, today, as we speak. Hamas determined to kill as many Jewish people as they can. And so they launch a sneak attack against civilians and they slaughter hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And the atrocities going door to door, raping, murdering men, women, children, babies, burning people alive. I'm not even going to give you all the details because it's just so horrific, so twisted. And I could go on and on. Like child pornography, like that's a thing. That makes sense. That's an industry. Sex trafficking of children. You just pick any one of these and you drill down deep and then you explain it without a devil. You explain it without a schemer. You explain it without a deceiver. And yeah, it's kind of hard to understand and I don't know all the answers. But when I pause long enough to look at any one of those many things in our culture, our world, our country, like, hey, we're related to people who thought slavery was a good idea. We look back and we go, what? It's twisted. And all these end up in the destruction of human life. And Jesus said, I told you 2,000 years ago, he's a murderer and he accomplishes it through deception. And he won't tip his hat to his existence because he doesn't want to overplay his hand. But there's an invisible world that impacts our visible world every single day. And that's why I, as a somewhat rational human being, lean hard into the teachings of Jesus. It's why we need to pray for ourselves and our families every day. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. When you lie, you speak the devil's native language because he's a liar and the father of lies. We should pray every day, God, please help me see as you see. I just want to see as you see, not through the lens of culture, not through the lens of deception, not through the lens of my emotions. I want to see the world like you see it because there's a deceiver and there's a twister. And I don't fear what he's going to do to my physical body. And I don't fear he's going to show up in some strange, weird, Halloween-y kind of way. It's not the concern. The concern is that our realities get twisted. Our views of one another get twisted. Our views of marriage and raising our kids, our money, our sexuality, our politics, our religion, that somehow they get so twisted, we make decisions that result in destruction. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the major twists and pray that God, through his word and through his grace, would help us to see things a little different and to respond to things a little different because things are not always as they appear to be. We live in a world that's been twisted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is such a big subject. It's way bigger than me. And yet, Lord, everybody listening has at some point looked at something or heard something or read something and they thought, how could that happen? How could that happen? Father, so many of us have been protected because we live in a world and an environment that for the most part still acknowledges the one true living God and that your word is true. But most people in the world don't live in that kind of culture, in that world. So Father, would you just use these next weeks not to scare us, but to bring our thinking into a context where we see things as they are, Father, for the men and women who are caught up in stuff and they just wonder how they're going to get out, I pray that their world would become untwisted. For the son or the daughter that's running hard from home, I pray that they would see that 
Their problem isn't their parents, but there's someone who would love to destroy their lives physically and relationally at every level because he's a murderer and a deceiver. Lord, help us to see as you see so we can do as you would have us to do. Keep falsehood and lies far from us and give us wisdom now to know what to do with what we've heard and the courage to take that step. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.